0: Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder.
1: Today on the show, we've got my friend Cody Littlewood. uh, He's got a great story. He started out with a software company that he founded and grew. And then he hired a CEO to run that company and really kind of stepped out of the day-to-day operations and fell in love with multifamily investing. So their firm now is buying large multifamily properties in uh, the southeastern, uh, South and Southeastern United States. So we talk about you know, how we got into multifamily, how we built this team, how they're raising capital, what they're looking for in deals, how they're structuring their deals. Uh, we talk a lot too about what's going on in the current market right now in mid 2022. So I think there's gonna be a lot of value for you uh, in the conversation with Cody. Great, great guy on top of it all. Before we jump in, I know from our sponsors, DJE and apartment educators. If you are not seeing DJE deals uh, that we're putting out and you'd like to, you can register at djetexas.com. That's delta Juliet Echo texas.com, also linked in the show notes. And if you're interested in becoming an operator or learning how to become an operator of multifamily deals and you wanna be that active investor and go run your own large multifamily projects We created apartmenteducators.com as the perfect ecosystem to take you through all of that with the knowledge and the team and the connections to be able to go do those big deals. There's a a free eight-part video series that I teach for you at apartmenteducators.com. Check that out if that's of interest. All right, without further ado, let's get into the episode here with Mr. Cody Littlewood. Cody, welcome to the podcast. Nice to have you. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, and I appreciate you jumping on. Um, I definitely we were talking a little bit in the green room before about you know what's going on with the market and multifamily and all that stuff. But before we kind of dive into the current state of, the, of affairs, let's uh, let's dial it back and and you know for those in the audience here that haven't met you or your company, um, what did you get start started doing out doing, and what led you into to real estate?
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm an ex-software guy. Um, so I was a software engineer and I built a software engineering and design firm. Um, and I built it up to like 70 person firm. It still exists and is running today. Um, a few years back, I put a CEO in place and he's, uh, well, him and, and and a great leadership team are kind of leading it forward and I still, still own it. But um, I guess probably, you know, quite a four or five years back or something like that, I started to really kind of feel like the, well, largely I had almost all my net worth tied up into, uh, you know, in, in my business. Uh, right. The cash flows from a business, you know, cash flows from a business can can vary widely. They're, you know, they feel a little less permanent, uh, you know, the cash flows from an asset. And at the end of the day, we were selling a, you know, a discretionary service uh, to businesses. Right. And, so I started to kind of think about, well, what happens to me if I, uh, you know, what happens to me if I, if, if something, or what happens to my family if something happens to me? Um, and so I started getting really obsessed with this idea of building kind of like permanent cash flow streams for my family. Um, and so that kind of led me down the real estate rabbit hole. Uh, I started partnering up with people. I realized I uh, was really tired and burned out sitting in front of a computer Um, and, uh, and I really just kind of fell in love with bricks and sticks. Um, so, uh, I love putting roofs over people's heads. I feel like I'm doing something much more meaningful with my life than what I felt like I was doing in the software world. Um, and so I kind of dove in headfirst and, uh, started partnering up with, uh, some really great people that had, you know, decades of experience and, uh, a bunch more, uh, you know, a bunch more brain power than I did. And so through that kind of process, we started growing a firm and uh, we now have kind of a a smaller uh, emerging real estate private equity firm. Um, We focus on value add multifamily kind of B, you know, class B minus stuff in a good neighborhood that we can be bring to a B plus um, in the Southeast. So we're, you know, largely we have a bit South Florida uh, you know, and we're looking in northern Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. So, um, largely, our assets are really through the Carolinas down through northern Florida, with a
1: bit in South Florida. I love it. That's a it's a great uh, journey condensed there in a very short time. Going back to your software company, what was the thinking behind putting a CEO in place? I guess what was the the driver for that, and and why not just sell the company outright? What was your thought process here?
0: Well, I mean. The software company was spitting off great cash flow, And so it spits off really, I I do think it's difficult. Um, You know, I I think a lot of people, well, I think people kind of make two misnomers, right? When getting into real estate investing. The first is, is that you can make really big chunks of money in real estate. And I think you can, but you have to be, you have to be on the active side, right? And so, you know, I, I think to really get going, with a decent amount of scale and progress in real estate, I think it's great to have like a very high paying job or a very, you know, so I like to call, you know, my old job, right. Like, which is a, you know, software engineering, you know, high paid service worker, right. Like a highly paid service worker, you know, but our, you know, doctors are like this, lawyers are like this, software engineers are like this, you know, we make a lot of money, but um, but it's all tied up with our time. Um, but that can be a really good thing because you can use that like large amount of cash flow and you can pour it into kind of passive investing. Uh so um so it spits off a lot of cash flow and I pour that into into real estate. Um, and so that was kind of why I didn't really want to sell it. I looked at, you know, maybe a you know, five, 10 year projection of where that cash flow was going. I felt like I just keep taking this. I pour it, I take the active stuff and I pour it into real estate. Um and then, you know, I, I guess the other, you know, the other misnomer that people kind of talk about, and I didn't really realize this at first, is that real estate's passive. Um, I think it's passive for your investors or for my investors. It's not that passive when you when you actually start doing it at scale. Um, right. And, you know, you have to have scale to really make the income start to make a difference, you know, for most families, right? You know, so if you really want to start to build 150, 200, 250 grand of passive income, uh, you know, over a year. Um, you do have to have some sort of scale. I think it's really hard to do with just, you know, a vacation rental or, you know, a couple of single family homes. And so if you're doing that at a scale, you have to be active. Um, and I kind of fell in love with it and I got really burned out from the software. And so that was those two things. I was like, okay, I got a good thing going for me. I don't want to just sell it and let it go, Um, you know, and it's been a big part of me for a long time. And the other piece was, well, I'm also kind of burned out from it and I want to do the real estate thing actively. And so I was like, it it kind of led me to, okay, if I, you know, it's a big enough company, I can put somebody in place that I can kind of hold accountable. And now it probably takes about two hours of my week, uh, you know, two hours of my week every week where I have, you know, an L10 leadership meeting. Uh, review the scorecard, kind of get a good understanding of, of how the business operating. I hold my leaders accountable. And um, and and yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's it's it it was a lot of work to get there. It took me a couple of years to get there. Um, sure. So after I made the decision, it took me a couple of years to get there. But um, but now that it's in place, it's been going really well. So that, I think it actually grows better with me out of the way.
1: That's so funny. I mean, that's such an entrepreneur's dilemma where you're the founder and uh, the genius that got it all started. And that that makes it really hard to step away. But yeah,
0: I think, I think what I realized is the the other, the other leaders are, are much more the genius than I am. So, so that was a, it was, it was good to step away. And I think as we build a, you know, but building one business before, and and you know, this because you have a firm, you know, uh, you know, Dje, you know, you guys, your guys' firm. I mean, building a business the second time you go about things in a much smarter way. You kind of really understand, um, you know, how to get out of the way from the get-go. And I think uh, that's been a big blessing for for us.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations on making that transition and keeping the existing business going. I mean, that's really kind of an ideal scenario uh, for sure. And it's interesting too, how it seems like the axiom that people either build their wealth in real estate or they bring their wealth to real estate. Once they've built it somewhere else, it just kind of seems like all roads lead to, lead to real estate in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk about your, your, you know, getting into the real estate. What were some of your early projects that you guys or that you, you know, you, you'd made up your mind to explore this space. What did your first kind of first steps into that world look like?
0: Oh man. Um, I mean, my first steps were not was, was not anything proud. Um, it was a, uh, it was, it was supposed to be a flip. Um, right. and, yeah, uh, those. we got into it. Um, and we, 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 we got into it and it turned out, I mean, we thought it was going to be, we bought it for, I think one fifty. We thought it was going to be, it was, I mean, it was a really bad condition. We thought it was going to be like maybe, you know, probably a hundred thousand dollar rehab. Um, we got into it. We realized that, uh, <laughs> this is a totally a Miami thing. Um, But we realized that the uh, previous owner had, had quite literally, they, they, they built these walls out of, I swear to God, trash, and then plastered over it with like, um, uh, with like a, a a small layer of stucco concrete. Okay. And so we realized that like half the house was built out of this, Termite eaten, trash filled walls covered with it was it was crazy. Wow. Um, we realized that like the plumbing, I mean, it was just I mean it was a total mess. Uh, we ended up pouring. I think we we ended up putting like we bought it for one fifty. I think we put another two hundred thousand into it. We thought we were gonna put a hundred thousand into it. And so like well we're we're kind of getting into it. And at the time, it didn't make sense to sell it. So we're like, well shit, I guess we own a single family house now. So that was that was literally my first project. It took me uh it was it was a really painful project uh i would make money now but i think my total returns would be you know probably be like an 8%
1: return um and it was a lot of headache
0: it was it was not worth the 8% annualized return for that project so
1: yeah i mean that there's a lot of those stories so thank you for being candid about that i've got a i've got a few of those dogs <laughs> from back in the single family days. Did that inform um, what you wanted to do next? Did that experience shape shape you moving forward?
0: Well, a little bit. So we started, we did that. And then we did a duplex. Then we did a bigger property. And then, you know, we bought, you know, a 20 unit, 30 unit. and So essentially though, what it taught me was that between some of the smaller stuff that we were doing, it taught me first off that like the headache wasn't worth the pain for the smaller stuff. Sure. Um, and uh, it also kind of taught me that the scale didn't didn't really make sense, right? You know, you were looking at the cash flow from a single family house that could, you know, that could be eaten up by a by an AC going out. You could right. lose your whole all your cash flow for an entire year by an AC going out. Um, uh, whereas when we started to do larger and larger properties, we're like, wait, you know, the repairs and stuff like this, this this is like a much smaller line item as a portion of the overall things you know or sorry is a portion of the overall revenue um, so yeah so it was a combination of that and starting to do larger and larger projects that that kept pushing us into larger into larger stuff that really mattered and you know i mean i made pretty good income yeah you know from my business and uh, you know so when i looked at like when i looked at like the profits from like a single family house or a duplex Stuff like that. I was like, man, I'm going to have to do a lot of these. Yes. To really, for this to really start to, uh, you know, for this to really start to make a difference for my family, which is what I was doing, you know, which is what I started off doing in the first place. I I wanted to take, you know, move all my income from like this very active space to this much more permanent kind of uh, streams of of varied cash flow. And I just became very apparent to me that I wasn't going to get there through single family houses, not knocking single family house guys. There are guys that are doing it at scale. Yeah. Um, but I'm just not smart enough to build out the operation team to do that at, at, you know, the, the single family house stuff at massive scale. I really like having, you know, a lot of on site property managers and maintenance guys and stuff like that to support our operations for us. That just makes more sense
1: yeah i mean it's it just the natural progression at some point let's buy way more doors in one transaction at one address simplify the whole thing i remember thinking too like and i started out doing single family for way too long um yeah. and you know it's like do you want to do you want to own 200 houses i mean that's <laughs> that's, a, that's lot a lot of utility bills and, and everything uh but you are in an apartment complex I and mean, that's just a self-contained business so yeah a um, lot, lot easier I-
0: you know, and I'll say, um, you know, you're, the other thing is, is, you know, I wouldn't say that it's easier to do a larger, like some people, I, I heard somebody really smart say that like bigger transactions aren't, aren't harder to do. They're just bigger. I would say there are portions that are harder, but there are, but, but, but he was right. in that, at, like, if you took it as a whole, they maybe are not harder because you have better lawyers, better brokers, oh, better team, yeah. better property managers, the thing the the access to the team members that you have when you're doing these large scale transactions, the quality of people is just way better.
1: So. 100%. The cast of characters between a single family transaction, whether the contractor just got out of jail or, you know, whatever the case is, or is just going into jail uh, versus a multi, you know, 10, $20 million project where your broker's got an MBA, your attorney's sure. specialized attorney. I mean, it's such a... It's such a breath of fresh air to be dealing with professionals like all the way around the table.
0: Large contracting firm, you know, the other day we were doing a, you know, we have a 200 unit complex in, uh, in Georgia that we're doing a big value add project on. It's, you know, two and a half, $2.8 million of capex or something like that. And the contract's like, well, we can save 20% if we just order all the supplies direct from this manufacturer, right? You're never going to be able to do that at scale. Um, so, so yeah, so, so it's just a, it's a good, it's a, it's a great quality of characters and, uh, you're totally right. I mean, we knock out a, uh, you know, we knock out a unit term, we can do 10 unit turns on a property in a matter of a month. You know, if I was doing a duplex, you know, two sides of a duplex would probably take me
1: four months, you know, right. back when I was, you know, doing smaller stuff. So, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So you mentioned 200 units. What does a, what does an asset look like for your company now that, that you guys would, would go after?
0: Yeah, so we're trying to play in like the 120, you know, 100 unit to 225 unit space. For us in our markets, that's generally 15 to 30 million dollar transaction. Um, you know, depending on the you know, depending on how new the asset is, the location of the asset, the condition, etc. Um, but that's a, uh, you know, that's generally what we're focusing on. We want to be big enough that, you know, we want to be big enough that, you know, Large 1031 traders are not going to be able to outbid us and, you know, massive, you know, because usually they can't go quite up to that size. There are very few 1031 guys that, you know, there are guys that are trading out of stuff that have that much capital to put to work. And, you know, and, and you know, the smaller kind of syndicators or families that are buying or, you know, whatever it is, but we want to stay out of the way of like the big, big private equity guys. I mean, we're yes. technically a small private equity firm. But we want to stay out of the guys that have like institutional capital because their cost of capital is just so much lower than us. And, you know, if we were going after a 400 unit building, uh, you know, a property, I think that'd be, be a lot harder for us.
1: Yeah, that's right. You're you're not looking for hundred million dollar deals, and there's uh, there is kind of a sweet spot there. I, I, we kind of play in the same space. So you know, twenty million dollar deal, it needs five or six million dollars of equity. What uh, what does your capital stack look like when you go out and, and pursue such projects?
0: Yeah, so I mean, we're we're generally bringing a good you know, we're generally bringing a good chunk of the capital. We've done different types of uh, deals, so we we have kind of our typical GPLP structure where, you know, we'll bring five, 10% of the capital and, uh, you know, our LP investors will bring the other 90%, uh, you know, of the equity and, you know, then we'll place debt. Um, And so, you know, usually in the 70, 75% LTC uh, range, we'll, you know, generally want to do bridge to, uh, you know, kind of a bridge to long-term debt pipeline. So either bridge to HUD or bridge to agency pipeline Um, and, 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 you know, we're uh, we're generally like kind of playing in that space, but we have done some specific deals where we work with a family office. Uh, mm-hmm. We work with some large 1031 traders. You know, where we're just an asset manager on the you know on the asset, or you know, sometimes we've had people come in and you know, part of the equities of 1031 trade and they're sitting as a tick, and you know, the other parts a you know an LP you know a set of LP funds and then equity or sorry and then uh, and then debt. So. We're generally doing, you know, we're, we're value add guys, so we're generally coming in. There's a decent amount of capex. There's a stabilization period. You know, we are buying, uh, you know, generally in the, with that with the bridge debt, and then we're refining and refinancing out with the uh, you know, long term uh, long term fixed debt. So that's generally what we're doing. And um, I mean, we we don't really, you know, we're not we we generally doing that just because it's pretty hard to get like a Fannie or a Freddie or HUD even to, uh, you know, to, to understand like the level of, we're doing genuine value add projects, right? And so as you know, if you're doing a real value add push, it is really hard to get kind of fixed, you know, fixed uh, uh, debt people on board with that. Yeah. Uh, and if you aren't doing the value add, if you aren't doing real value add, then I get a little nervous about like, do we have the ability to force cash flow and force, uh, you know, force the NOI to really, you know, increase the, you know, increase the value of the property and as well as increase the cash flow to our investors, uh, you know, and provide good debt coverage service or debt coverage ratio. So, um, uh, you know, if you aren't doing a true value add, I'm a little nervous about where pricing is right now. Um, Although it's gotten, you know, it's certainly gotten better over the past month. Um, So, yeah, so it's kind of, kind of what it looks like.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. So let's talk about pricing. I mean, we're talking a little bit before we start hit record here that um, obviously the debt market has changed quite a bit here in the in the recent months. We're talking mid-2022 twenty <clears throat> mid 2022 right now. So obviously um, things are a little different now with with the Fed finally um, hiking rates and you're seeing leverage come down from lenders and stuff like that. What has that done for you guys, um, you know, acquisition portion of business over the last couple of months?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we couldn't, none of our bids were hidden, uh, at the first half of the year. Um, so we had, uh, we had one bid, you know, we had one bid hit, but turned out to be a property that, uh, ended up catching fire under contract. And so, uh, so we didn't close that. Um, and then the rest of the year, we just couldn't get any bids to hit. Now we're, you know, now we're seeing, we're probably seeing like it depends on how high flying the asset was, right? I mean, what we're seeing is we're we're, we're getting a lot of calls from brokers. Like, hey, you know, this uh, this came back on market. Um, you know, we I first time in a long time the other day I got a text message. I think I shared it with you or or shared it on a forum that we're a part of. Um, and I got a text message from a broker that said, hey, this uh, you know this um, we're we're we're, uh, we're We're lowering guidance on this. I hadn't seen anybody lowering guidance in you know forever. So yeah, um, no kidding. Yeah. um, So we're seeing like the really high flying stuff, the stuff that like you know we couldn't make we couldn't make sense of no matter what. You know, we're seeing that stuff trade twenty percent down, um, and we're seeing the stuff that maybe is a little more secondary market, a little more good. You know, little better fundamentals, more good, little better fundamentals. Um, behind the deal, maybe a little more sane uh, broker, right? A broker that wasn't wasn't really pushing the envelope quite as much. We're seeing those down maybe 10 off of you know 10 off of where they were. Um, so we're starting to see a lot of stuff that makes sense. Um, however, you really, I mean, we've always uh, you know we've always really prided ourselves with our with our deal pipeline. I mean, we're underwriting our analysts are underwriting 20 you know 200 to 300 deals a month. Uh, you know, at the very top level of our pipeline, we're sending your uh, money direct to owner off market uh, offers, signed offers, uh, you know, for our target 1000 list of properties, uh, you know, every single month uh, or sorry, every single week. Um, so we, we see the you know, we're, we're really close to the market. We've always had a really decent pipeline. Um, and we also have always thought interest rates were going to normalize. So right. all this stuff that's been going on over the past year, we always kind of in our models, we're like, you know, we we kind of understood. We were like, this is this is an insane moment in history. So when we do our refinance, we are always planning on refinancing out into higher, you know, into higher uh, uh interest rate debt. And uh, you know, we we thought, you know, we were always buying rate caps, we were always, you know, having some cash on hand to deal with this type of stuff. And so I think if you are somebody that was always kind of considering that, now you're starting to see deals start to move into guidance that you know for your team, um, and uh, you know I, I think I think it really depends on um, you know it, it really depends on the I think the market's gonna have to start to give a little bit more even uh, just because you know I think the Fed is determined. Um, you know, particularly for us value add guys, the market's going to have to give, give a little bit more because the Fed is determined to bring up the short-term rates. Um, yeah. God only, you know, they say they're going to three, you know, three and a half percent terminal rate, I think was the announcement yesterday. So you got to imagine that your debt's going to carry to there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think, you know, your long-term debt, long-term prospects, you know, this is a good time to buy basically is what I'm saying. So, but I think, uh, you know, I think there's going to be a little bit more repricing. It's hard to say where the market's going to end, but I know there's a lot of capital weight to pour back in. So it's hard to see that dislocation lasting forever. And I think the fundamentals in the housing market are still really attractive, you know, supply, demand, you know, uh, the affordability of housing, you know, the affordability of owning, for example, I think John Burns, I think his name's John Burns, real estate consultant. I don't know if you follow him, super smart guy. He showed that owning now is at its owning to renting is at its, at its most extreme now that it's been throughout like history. Um, and a year ago, it wasn't the case. It, it cost about the same to buy as it did to rent uh, on a monthly basis. And now it's the most extreme. To buy as it's ever been in the past, uh, you know, in the past 40, 50 years or something like that. So that's only going to drive more people into the renter market.
1: Yeah, that's huge pressure um, on on buyers. And that's, uh, you know, you talked about having a software company that was um, not a fundamental requirement, maybe for people, and housing absolutely is. And it's. you know, you got you got that bedrock of fundamentals. If you're in the right markets and you're undersupplied, and there's a lot of people that are are now uh, not able to be homeowners when they were three months ago. Yep. Um, it's just a ton of pressure on on ton of put a ton of demand on the on the rent side of it. So we have that yep. have that going for us. And I mean, you're never going to win all sides. You know, we've been begging for some price relief as buyers, right? And <laughs> yeah, now we have it. Exactly. Like, well, I don't like the debt terms. You know, it's like, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. What, 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 do you, what do you want? You want low prices and three percent debt, and you know, it's, sure. like it's not going to happen. So you kind of, you kind of got to um, take the take the good with the bad there. But um, fundamentally, if you're in the right markets and and you got population growth and you're undersupplied, that's that bodes well for for all of it. I,
0: I think if you're truly like a Buffett style investor, right? You're a long term investor. You're buying assets. You're buying good assets and good areas with good fundamentals and your view is the long-term. If you're a long-term investor, I think that, I think it's going to be a great time to buy. Um, we are really excited. Um, you know, certainly people, people, everyone are, you know, everyone's nervous, but you know, the, uh, you know, the famous saying, right. You know, when everyone's, uh, you know, buy when there's blood in the street, right. Uh, You know, or when everyone's, I think, you know, uh, uh, Buffett's famous saying, right, is is when everyone's nervous, I'm buying and whenever or, you know, be greedy when everyone's uh, when everyone's uh, scared and fearful yeah. when everyone's, uh, you know, greedy. So it's uh, it's kind of funny, though. Investor dynamics. Um, everyone says that they repeat that quote. Right. So now that everyone's right. actually yeah. fearful. Yeah. No one, you know, it's, it's easy to say when times are good. Right. But when right. times are bad, Uh, I think that's really what uh, it's it's what's going to separate the great investors from, uh, you know, from the guys that are, you know, just riding waves.
1: So, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, So getting back to kind of the operation side, you guys are multiple markets. You're sending out a ton of offers. You've got a process built to to screen and underwrite a a tremendous amount of offers. How how have you guys approached property management starting out and, and currently and what how does that evolve for you guys? That's obviously a big piece of the puzzle here.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I think people underestimate how important operations are, right? Everyone wants to talk about deals. Everyone wants to talk about deal flow. Yeah, closing deals is sexy. Exiting deals is sexy, but your money's made through operations. Um, so we have a combination of a property of, of kind of a trusted property manager that's you know one of the leading names in the southeast um, that we work with, but we also have our own kind of asset management team, and it's that's kind of right. like asset manager, managing a manager. So, um, which I'm sure maybe annoys them a little bit sometimes, but what we've found is, uh, you know, what we found is that no one cares about your property as much as you do. And so we have asset manager that's, you know, touching each property weekly, um, that's on the ground almost, you know, almost every week, particularly during the, during the value add phase. So we have a construction manager, um, you know, that's, that's really on top of, uh, that's on top of those projects and, that's how we've kind of mitigated our smaller size with, um, you know, with, with 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 needing the touches that we need on properties and, and being as involved on the day-to-day basis as we need to be. Um, however, I think in the future, we certainly, uh, you know, I know you're vertically integrated, uh, something we certainly have talked about and considered um, property management. It's a it's a hard business. It's got really low margins. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really hard to attract great people because, you know, they're dealing with a lot of problems every single day. Yep. And, uh, you know, it takes a special type of person to be able to deal with, uh, deal with problems every t- you know, every day. And so, um, it's certainly something we're looking at, but not something we've, uh, we've dipped our toe in so far. It's just our asset manager, construction manager and asset management analyst.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really, you know, an interesting proposition because you, he- you can run a really lean shop as a private equity company. And that's a beautiful thing in, in many ways. You know, you've got some asset management overhead, but so much overhead and HR on the property management side, that's just not on your books, which is beautiful. If, it, sure. if it's working, uh, if it's not working, it's the level of control that you give up can be tough. So it's, it's yep. uh, you know, it's important. It's an important decision to make, but you know, if you guys do go that route, the beautiful thing is you've already got the scale to plug into. And so, you're sure. getting efficiencies right out of the gate because you can have some corporate overhead that doesn't make sense if you own 200 doors. You right. know, if You know, a thousand doors. You know, fifteen hundred doors. All of a sudden, some of that corporate overhead really starts to make sense. And yeah, the nice thing about the property management companies, you, you do have recurring revenue. It's not huge, but sure. it's there every month, and that that's nice for any business to have a a solid you know base of recurring revenue. So just different yeah. approaches there, and I think you know being with a bigger property management company like you are, lets you kind of be geographically dispersed, which is more difficult, I think, if you're running your own shop, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, we are pretty, you know, we're kind of like South Carolina, Georgia, Northern Florida. So if we had a regional asset, you know, not a regional asset manager, but a regional uh, property manager that kind of managed all the different sites, they could pretty reasonably, I think, geographically make it Geographically, make it work, but certainly having their scale um, and that really micro market expertise. Every time we go to market, you know, we're relying on you know relying on them heavily, and they're specific market experts that are like, you can absolutely hit those rents. Rents, we'll hit those rents all day. We'll commit to this budget, no problem. Yep. Or like, hey, you know, like this may this zip code may look good, uh, you know, but actually, it's only because. The zip code covers a really rich area. That's really that's next to a really poor area, um, and not that a poor area is bad, but this area is kind of dangerous. And so, yeah, um, certainly mm-hmm. with that, yeah, exactly. So having that micro region, like that micro market expertise, at the tip of our fingertips, um, you know, really really helps us out. I mean, we, uh, you know, we're pretty mobile, anyways. You know, we, just like you, we're pilots, and so we can we can reach out and touch any of our properties. Uh, we can visit almost, I think all we can visit all of our properties in a single day, uh, with, a, with you know, with a small plane and, uh,
1: and yeah. that helps as well. Oh yeah. That's, that's huge. I love it. Yeah. So you're, you're geographically dispersed, but, um, you can still hit them all. Yeah, That's the best of both worlds. I love it. <laughs> yeah. we've, well, we've resisted uh, other markets to date just because we're able to kind of hit our acquisition targets in one market. I mean, I've, I'm constantly surprised every year that, that we're able to do that and that sure. may change in the future, but, um, being able to hop around a couple of different spots is that's fantastic.
0: I think it's I think it's been great. Um, but you know, there's something to be said for for just like you know, just owning a whole market, right. um, being right. the guys in that market, um, and being uh, you know, being being that name within that market. I mean, there's so much, there's so many, there's so many network effects that happen. So it's right. something we've certainly looked at as well. Um, we haven't felt it necessary yet. Um, but it's like, it's like this constant pros and cons list that we, we discuss all the time, our exact, you know, our, our, the three partners, we always, you know, sit down and discuss that, like, you know, do we want to just look in a single core market, own that whole market, you know, or we, we want to keep going with the regional route. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Pros and cons, definitely both. So what do you guys, uh, see ahead? I mean, do you have acquisition targets for a year or are you just looking to, always be making offers at a certain, you know, threshold or, you know, what do you, what do you guys see kind of for the, for for the foreseeable future for the firm here? Yeah. I mean, so our targets this year, were probably in the
0: range of hundred million in acquisitions. Um, We did like 55 million last year. So we're looking to not quite double it, but almost double it this year. Uh, I think we will hit it in the last half of the year. If you know, the first half of the year we, we haven't done anything. But the back half of the year, we're seeing a lot of, you know, we're seeing a lot of repricing in the market. We're seeing a lot of deals that make sense. You know, we're long-term investors, you know, know. you know, I, I, think that there are some economic headwinds coming for us. You know, we're, I'm looking at layoff numbers and tech companies. And, you know, I think those are very early signs of things starting to crack. Um, certainly, you know, if anybody's looked at their 401k recently, um, but, uh, but we're in workforce housing. And so, you know, you know we uh we really like um we really like the fundamentals um we always are underwriting for a little bit increased uh you know delinquency than you know what certainly what we've been seeing over the past couple of years um you know we're well prepared for it we're we're, we're, we're well capitalized we always overraise you know we we you know the deal we're doing right now for example you know we'll buy a rate cap we also have a ton of cash on hand to deal with anything within that rate cap band exposure um, yeah. you know, and coming out of it, we're expecting higher rates on a long-term finance, and it still it still works. So if the numbers work um on a deal with all of those given things, you know, with you know, with some, some slightly higher uh delinquency, with uh, you know, with with uh, you know, we're we're only looking at the 10-year break even, you know, we're only projecting three percent rent growth every year. Um, well, you know, yeah. we we we're expecting higher interest rates now, we're expecting higher interest rates on our refi. Um, you know, if we're still hitting our hurdles on a deal, and we're starting to see deals that are priced at numbers, we're we're hitting our hurdles. We'll do those deals all day because, right. you know, if rates are high, it probably means we're crushing those rent numbers, right? We're probably not doing three percent a year. We're doing, you know, we projected three percent a year on deals we did last year. So so good example, right? Deals we did last year. Um, you know, we we got we got great rates, but uh, you know, and we got a rate cap and our rates are moving up, but we're renewing it 30% above our year one numbers, right? Right. Like like without doing anything to the unit, I mean, on on this particular deal. And so, yeah, fine. Our debt service is kind of floating up until it hits that rate cap, but we're also, we're crushing our revenue numbers. And so when rates are up, that means inflation's up, which means your revenue's up. Um, And so as long as we, you know, as long as we maintain our conservative underwriting, um, and and the deal hits our numbers uh, you know we we were long-term investors and so you know it's hard to find the bottom it's hard to know where you hit the bottom of course it's, it's, it's very possible that the market starts to kind of find a bottom and all this money that's sitting on the sidelines pours back in and now we're no longer at the bottom right And yeah. so you know I think I think it's important to buy great assets with great fundamentals and so I mean I hopefully I guess that's a long story short, you know, we hope to buy 100 million this year, hope to buy 200 million next year um, as long as it hits our as long as it hits our hurdle numbers. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's going to be interesting. I mean, as soon as the Fed starts hiking, that means we're closer to the next cut. I mean, can you imagine what's going to happen and the next cut? Maybe that's 24 months out, but sure. historically, it's only been a year and a half, two years from the yep. time the Fed starts hiking to the time they cut. And I mean, demand's not stopping, supply's constrained. Rents and prices of everything is all time highs. I mean, God bless when the Fed cuts again. <laughs> so much money rushing in to buy these deals, and that price yeah. now is gone. Yeah, we are not underwriting this, but I think there are enough.
0: We are a country that has unfortunately built up enough a high, such a high debt load. Yeah. Um, so, for example, the CBO last year did a uh, you know did a study, and they said if that if rates were a percent above where they projected, they projected the 10 year was going to be 1.9% right now, it's 3.4. Right. I think as of today. So they projected if it was 1% above their projection that the, you know, because of all the spending over the past few years and the deficits um, that our debt service as a country would be equal to like the cost of, I think, I think the first one was the cost of, of Medicare. If it was, equal, if it was 1.5% over, which is where it's at today, where they thought it was, it was going to be equal to Medicare and defense spending together. And if it's 2% over, yeah, if it's 2% over, it's like over social security, um, the cost of social security. And then you get into a debt spiral. So there's probably people smarter than me. And I'm really, I'd love to have an economist explain it to me, but I don't think they can keep these interest rates here for very long. I think that like, we are underwriting much higher interest rates, but I think there is a decent chance, and you're starting to see things break. I think there's a decent chance that things start to break, and unemployment starts to creep up, and they start running back down the, you know, back down on the rates faster, faster than we think. Um, everything's happened a little faster than we thought, and so I, I could see that being a a scenario. Uh, that happens. I mean I certainly wouldn't underwrite it, but I can certainly see I can certainly see us being in a lower rate environment, you know them getting to the end of this year and you know it's just it's just mayhem and we've kind of found a bottom and they've gotten the they've gotten the relief valve that they wanted on inflation because things are kind of bad. Um, and so they start uh, you know they start lowering those rates again and I think that's certainly a possibility.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody can see around corners, but if you're in a position now where you're buying something 10% off the ask and locking it up and in 18 months rates come down again, I mean, that's, you're going to be a good, good spot.
0: I'd, I'd love to buy, I mean, our general value add, you know, we're targeting our models say three years, you know, or you know, 24 to 36 months, but we're generally targeting about 180 or sorry, uh, uh, 18 months, 180 days. Uh, I wish 180 days, but no, uh, but, but 18 months. Um and so I can I can genuinely see that things that we're buying today we're refinancing out into a much lower rate environment than we ever expected. I think that's totally a possibility, you know, 18 months from now that we're already in a, you know, we're already in a, in, in a lowering rate environment. I, I got to say that's, that's probably, probably something that's within the cards or at least a much stabilized environment. So.
1: Yeah. And historically that's what's really always happened. So, you know, we, yeah. we shall see. So how long are you, how long are you guys targeting for your hold? If you're going, you know, doing two, three year value add, then the refinance, is it a 10 year hold or what are you guys telling? investors? Yeah. Ten-year hold. So
0: we uh, we we only you know we are long-term investors. You know we kind of follow the you know long-term value add, buy great assets, you know put a bunch of money into them, and then you got to you know hold these assets. It for us, you know I most of our LPs are kind of like listen. When you sell it, you do you know we get depreciation recapture, right? Everyone loves the depreciation when you get it, but. You know, the recapture, no one talks about the recapture. When you sell, you've got recapture. Yep. Uh, so, you know, they don't like that. Then they have capital gains taxes on top of, you know, they're usually high income earners. So it's like, well, now I got more capital gains problems. And, you know, the, then the final thing is, is now I've got to go redeploy this capital. Yeah. And because of our refinances, I mean, we're returning, you know, many of our deals over the past few years, we've returned, all you know, 100% or near 100% of the capital. Um, you know going forward, maybe that's 70% you know or 65, 70 percent. but you know they're like just give me back the majority of my capital, give me this great cash flow ongoing um, and don't cause a tax problem or a redeployment problem or a depreciation would capture problem for me. And so um, those are kind of our key investors and that's uh, that's who we cater to. that's kind of our, our key clientele base. And so we tell investors hey if you, you know if you're coming on board with us, plan to hold for a long
1: time. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, yeah, that, that makes sense. And it's the maximum value creation and it's the maximum flexibility for you guys as operators to be able to ride out, you know, we see cap rates. If we're going to see cap rates expand right now, interest rates are up. Great. Don't sell right now. You know, you can ride that out if you need to ride out another two years or whatever the case is on anything, you've got the flexibility to do that. Once you've set the expectation with your investors, I love it. I I think
0: it drags your IRR you know, your IRR down, right? So maybe you're sure. getting an 18% if you sell it at five years, but you're getting a 15% if you're selling at 10. Um, and so, but that's kind of a, a wish-washy number because it takes so much into account the time value of money, you know, the net present value. Yep. And so I think that, you know, when we look at it, like at five years, we're doing 30% cash on cash returns. Like we can give you, you know, we can, we can go sell this, but now you got to go deploy that and find 30% cash and cash returns. Where are you going to do that? Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm just giving an example, not, <laughs> uh, not, 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 to be, uh, you know, this is not investment advice, nor, uh, yeah, that's right. nor, <laughs> nor promises, but that's right. Um, you know, that's kind of what we've seen in the past. And so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, when you've got a stabilized asset and it's just cruising along and producing great yield for investors, it's hard. It's 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 a you know you really got to be crushing it on
1: your sale number to really make it worth it. So. Yeah, yeah. These are irreplaceable assets. You know, infill locations you cannot build them for the for the basis that you're into them for. Oh yeah. I mean, it, you get you really got irreplaceable assets. <clears throat> what's oh, a, what's yep, it? What's cost? I was just say what's it cost to build right now? You know, two fifty a unit. You know, oh yeah. Kind of- yeah. I mean, it's uh, and then you got supply chain issues. You've got labor mm-hmm. issues. I mean, you got all kind of stuff. Um, and then you, I mean, development's a whole nother animal and obviously people make money at that, but oh, yeah. it's nice to close a deal and have uh, 150,000 revenue hit the next week. I mean, it's, it helps.
0: Somebody told me a statistics the other day and they said that only 5% of value add guys go, have gone, you know, go bankrupt through cycles, but 50% mm. of developers go bankrupt through cycles. Wow, that's, so, that's I, I haven't joke. looked it up, but, uh, but it was a pretty reliable source. I, I've got to, I've got to go find the source for that, but um, I can see it, right? I mean, yep. good developers make tons of money. There are great developers out there. We know great developers. Sure. Um, but development's a development's a hard
1: game. So. Yeah, hard game. A lot of writing checks and hoping there's a big one for you 24 months later. Sure. Yeah. Enough to make up for it. Well, Cody, I appreciate you sharing your story. This is awesome insight into your company. Um, if somebody wants to connect with you guys on the on the firm, what's a good avenue for them to do that?
0: Yeah. So you can, uh, uh, you can reach out to us at, you know, Cody at invest Um, or you can go to investwithcurated.com and, uh, I think there's a, a form you can fill out. I'm also on Twitter at Cody Littlewood. Um, and, uh, you can follow me there and, uh, hear about my rants, uh, on brokers. And, uh, although brokers are, 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 are now, uh, you know, are now some of my, uh, some of my favorite people, but, uh, during the hard times, man, they were, uh, it was, uh, it, was, it was hard to get deals done for, for a little while. And now uh, now they're your best friends. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can click through to the show description and link right through to Cody's website and his company's website. Um, well, look, man, I, congratulations. I wish you guys continued success. Let's see where the market goes, but um, strong fun, fundamentals and multifamily. So hope, yep. hope the rest of the year uh, works out great for you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, see you. All
0: right.